When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 7 of Ahsoka. Personally, I wasn't the biggest fan of this episode, while I thought there were a lot of really nice moments, and definitely action moments, I felt like the story kind of regressed from where it was building from episode 6, which was by far my favorite episode of the Ahsoka series. I felt like it really built a lot of the character development of Balin and Shin, and really left us kind of on a cliffhanger of, you know, what's the story here with Balin, where is he going to go? What's calling out to him? What's going to happen with them and the nomads? What's going to happen with Sabine and Ezra? And of course, what's going to happen when Ahsoka arrives? Not to mention everything Thrawn was preparing to leave the planet. However, in this episode, I feel like there were a lot of moments that kind of just didn't really add all that much to the story overall or the characters. And I only say this because this is the penultimate episode, you know, before the finale, before we don't have the Ahsoka show anymore for who knows how long. So let's get started and talk about everything in detail. As we arrive on Coruscant, we see the trial of General Harrison Dula as she stands before the council with Mon Mothma and the others. Now mainly General Ziono, who is grilling her, really seems to be driving this whole argument that she needs to be stepping down as general. This whole scene is about Hera being stripped of her status to see the legitimacy of her missions to bring Thrawn down. Nobody believes that she has any plausible reason that Thrawn is being brought back. Until, of course, C-3PO walks in with a direct message from Leia Organa, who is pretty high in the political game at this point. He tells the Senate that Leia approves of Hera's mission, and if anyone has issues about it, they can speak to her directly. So at this point, you know, everyone just kind of shuts up and allows Hera to go on her mission and do her thing. And to let you guys know, you know, this point in the galaxy, Leia is really climbing that political ladder way beyond what we saw in Return of the Jedi. Hera tells Mon Mothma that Thrawn is a great threat and reminds her that they need to be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. Ahsoka rides the Pergil through intergalactic hyperspace travel as she trains in the same room that she trained Sabine in. As she uses both her lightsabers while Anakin Skywalker's hologram rotates around her and gives her encouragement, this is really the last message that he sent her before they split up at the Battle of Mandalore and his leaving to the Invisible Hand ship before fighting Dooku. I'm guessing it was somewhere during their training sequence that we see in the Clone Wars Season 7. Anakin mentions how she'll face more than just droids, Grievous, Asajj Ventress, and Dooku, who will all be on the battlefield. And at this point, like, I was just buzzing, man. It was really cool that we got the mention of Asajj Ventress in live action from Anakin Skywalker. She was a major player in the Clone Wars, and the reason that he got the scar next to his right eye. She slashed him with it during their fight in the 2D original Clone Wars cartoon. Now, Ahsoka tells Hu Yang that we're 20 or more of those recordings, and man, I think I would love to see all those recordings that Anakin left for Ahsoka. And it just shows like a level of compassion and the fact that she misses her master so much that she still plays these recordings decades later. It's no surprise that Anakin loved Ahsoka like his little sister and made these for her to watch or replay, encouraging her to train and practice her lightsaber fighting forms more and more over time. He wanted her to win. He wanted her to survive. 
As they exit intergalactic hyperspace, the Purgil are hit with the minefield scattered throughout space that Thrawn had put there with the witches. As Ahsoka exits and navigates through the starfield of mines, she is chased by ships and decides to dip into the debris field of skeletons forming a ring around the planet. These skeletons are of course from the Purgil that come here to die. Now this of course plays into the Abeloth theory. I don't think Abeloth will be coming into this whole show, into the story. I think Abeloth is you know, the embodiment of death or you know, just such a dark character that I have a hard time believing that that's really what Balin was trying to search for or being reached out from. Thrawn speaks with Enoch, his right-hand man, and a lot of people in the chat during the live stream were thinking that Enoch is some sort of cyborg. I don't think so. I still think these guys are dead and the witches have resurrected them, but, you know, then when they were fighting with the crew later on, they weren't turning into dust or anything, so we'll have to talk about that too. So Enoch tells Thrawn that Ahsoka is indeed in space, as Elsbeth hands him the Imperial Database of Information on Ahsoka Tano. Thrawn learns that her master was Anakin Skywalker, and he's pretty taken aback. You know, Thrawn doesn't really make many facial expressions, but it seemed like he was kind of shocked. And you can see the wheels in his head turning, and it's like Thrawn looked almost scared for a moment. So he pulls the fighters back once he learns of this information, and my thoughts are here because, well, he knows Anakin was the best star pilot in the galaxy, and surely Ahsoka would learn after him. However, he pulled her out because if she's anything like Anakin, who he calls reckless and dangerous, he will put her in the position to make her own decisions, which either way will lead her to him. Instead of wasting his resources, in which he knows that she'll probably just defeat everybody and they'll be wasted. Thrawn is very smart, and he doesn't really have much ego when it comes to winning a battle. Now, for some backstory here, Thrawn and Vader worked together, as well as during the time of the Clone Wars, he also worked with Anakin, and he had a strong hunch that Vader was Anakin once. So this scene with Thrawn really establishes his cunning and intellect. He really pushes the envelope of Grand Admiral meets Sherlock Holmes, always getting the back info on everyone that he faces and finding their interests to properly examine who they are and to interpret their next move. One of the things in Rebels I found interesting, and of course in The Heir to the Empire, was he was really obsessed with art. And he always said that the art of a civilization or of people really tell you a lot about their military tactics, about how their mind works, and their overall interests, and tells you more about them than you would think. Ezra and Sabine talk while the crab turtle snail guys move around their homes. Now Sabine doesn't tell Ezra much, and I thought this was kind of strange, I feel like that would be the perfect time. She basically just catches him up on the last few years since the Emperor died, to which she says the Emperor is dead, some say. Now this, I think, is to keep it open that the Emperor will return in The Rise of Skywalker, and that some still wonder if he's really fully dead or not, to kind of maybe soften the blow to us that, yeah, you know, he, it is possible for him to be alive, but, yeah, you know, as George Lucas said, the Emperor's dead. The whole it's complicated part was odd, as I think now is the perfect time to tell Ezra literally everything, so I don't know why they're just not really explaining everything to one another. The Great Mothers try to find Ahsoka in the debris field while Ahsoka tries to reach out to Sabine through the Force. This was a scene I wasn't really too fond of. She eventually does reach out to Sabine with the Force, and hey, you know, that was cool and all, but not for Sabine to actually communicate back or to even hear it. I understand that all beings develop the Force to some limited extent depending on their midichlorians and their talent, but this to me is just kind of off-putting. With Luke and Leia in The Empire Strikes Back, it makes sense because she is a Skywalker. But Sabine, I just don't think she's a Jedi, at least not yet. 
You know, like Vader said, impressive, most impressive, but you are not a Jedi yet. As the witches find Ahsoka, they rain fire upon her from the hyperspace ring. Thrawn says not to worry about Sabine, as they have wisely sent her far from here. And that one line right there makes me wonder if Ezra is magic or not. Why did they send Sabine far from there to draw her out? Why? How did they know where she would go exactly? It makes no sense that Thrawn wouldn't know where Ezra is for so many years on the planet, where Sabine finds him in, you know, two minutes practically. So that leads me to believe that maybe Thrawn is keeping Ezra around because he is the key to the world between worlds, or he doesn't care about that, and Ezra is actually somewhere else, and this is all just magic done to buy time and fake it so Sabine gets caught up in thinking that she found Ezra. They come across Shin and Balin. Now Balin tells her to stay there and to fight, and to take her place in the coming empire. She says, you won't help. He tells her that her ambition drives her in one direction only, which is to kill, I think, and to work her way up the ranks. He's basically saying that she is not really the type to be interested in his path that he is trying to take, that she is just wanting to have revenge on her mind. She is more dark and ambitious on fighting than he is, and this, you know, is very telling of her last name, Hattie, which is the dark wolf that chases the moon. He tells her a very Qui-Gon Jinn quote and lets her know that impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. I feel personally that this was always the problem of the Sith, that they would become so obsessed with winning that they would either try to rush the win like Anakin did with Obi-Wan, or maybe even Maul, who toyed with his victims, letting his guard down and then being defeated. Balin sends the nomads of the planet that they formed an alliance with to rush Sabine and Ezra and close in on them. As Ahsoka enters the fight, she lands over Sabine and Ezra to face Balin's skull on the hill. They ignite their lightsabers, and I don't know if it's just the background messing with the colors here, but Balin's saber looks like it's a little more red than orange this time. Like, it was very clearly orange before, but now it really does look red. They fight, and Balin has the upper hand. He tells her she can't beat him as he grabs her arm, kind of like a child. She kind of agrees with him, and Hu Yang fires some sparks at him, causing them to split for a moment as she steals his ride and escapes. Instead of following her, he continues the other way onto his path. So where is he going? I think he's going to communicate with whoever or whatever is calling to him here on this planet. It could be the sun, it could be Abeloth, the embodiment of evil, of, you know, of death that's been trapped here on this planet, and maybe has been, like, shipped out here a long time ago like a prison, or maybe it's something else, maybe it's the wills. Whoever it is, their power obviously is overwhelming for the witches to want to stay there, so Balin is going in that direction. It could be a temple, it could be a cave, I guess we'll see. Now, I think Shin will feel betrayed by Balin for his abandonment, and it may reflect in her position in the finale. Sabine and Ezra take on Shin as Thrawn's night troopers arrive. She orders them to fire upon Ezra and Sabine where they stall for whatever reason until Ahsoka shows up and then start firing, which at that point, it's too late for them. Thrawn observes the battlefield and notices that Balin is gone. It's clear that he's pretty upset at this point, or, you know, just really wants to write off Balin. While the crew unite, they defeat the night troopers one by one in secession. Thrawn recalls his troops and says this is almost like you know, seeing the old Jedi fight during the Clone Wars. But he sees this as a success, and Elsbeth is really confused. Now, this moment is where we can see more of Thrawn's intellect and his military mind. He says this battle won them time, that most of the ship is now full of the cargo they've been loading, and that time is on their side, almost ready to leave this place for good, trapping the rest here. 
As everyone scatters and leaves, Shin is left there standing, and Ahsoka puts her hand out and tells her that she can help her. She's really hurt by Balin leaving her here, and eventually she runs away, getting on her mount and getting out of there. The three unite, and it's a very happy moment. Ezra says that he has a feeling he might be going home, finally, after all. And a lot of people in the chat in the live stream were saying that this is foreshadowing for him not going home after all. Now, I personally think it'd be wild if Ezra was just conjured by the Great Mothers to distract Sabine and Ahsoka to buy Thrawn time. Forget bringing Vader or some opponent to fight her, making her think everything is okay, is probably even more of a time buyer for him than anything else. I wonder if it's him personally. I really am curious to see him, especially with his eyes kind of looking like these TikTok filters. I'm kind of skeptical to think that maybe this is Night Sister magic or uh, Night Mother magic, which is even more powerful. Now, as for why the Night Troopers, who I believe and many believe are resurrected stormtroopers from the Great Mothers, I think they didn't explode into green smoke because this is Great Mother magic and it's not Night Sister magic. These are the original Great Mothers of the witches from Peridia. So I would imagine that perhaps they really did resurrect these beings who are yeah, probably dead, but they aren't being sustained by magic at this point. They're literally walking corpses like zombies that are living. Anyways, I think the next episode will have Balin perhaps going to a temple or he finds a cave, maybe resurrecting something that was long lost or asleep for a very, very long time. Maybe something that required a powerful vessel to take hold of, like his vessel, perhaps. A greater calling, as he would call it. Something strong enough for Balin to abandon Shin and go on his own path. The man obviously has a lot of morals, and for him to abandon Shin like this in a moment of battle, I think, personally, there must be something much greater to this that we haven't experienced yet. As for the crew, I'm really curious to see if that's really Ezra or not, so we're gonna have to wait and see, but if it is, then I sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't think it's gonna work out too well for one of them. I really don't think that they'll all get away happily ever after, but I don't know. We'll see. Kind of felt like a Rebels episode at the end where it just, you know, they all kind of are separated and then they get back together and they get on the ship and happily ever after. So we'll see what happens in the finale. But personally, I was hoping for more exposition with Balin and Shin, but this was definitely a turn that I didn't see would happen. It was very unexpected that they split up. So I think I'm more invested in Balin at this point than anyone else. I find him to be really, really interesting character that I'd love to learn more about. Maybe even get a backstory on in a Tales of the Jedi season two. Let me know your thoughts about this episode down below. Personally, I give it maybe a 6.5 out of 10 at most. I thought it was just not really developing the story too much. It kind of just moved things very slowly. And I think at this late in the game, when we have only one episode remaining, it's a really sensitive time. But I think if this was maybe episode oh, even five or you know, four, I think this would have been a easily a seven out of 10 or uh, maybe even an eight uh, for the new Star Wars that we've been getting. But anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed it either way. And if you didn't, let me know why. Let me know what you think. Regardless, thank you so much for watching or listening to today's breakdown. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your evening. And until the next video, remember, the Force will be with you always.